Good evening. It's good to be with you, and it's good to see all of you here tonight as well. In our search for God, our assurance that God is real, you know, we previously, in a lesson about two months ago, considered really what is identified as the anthropic principle or anthropic principle. And it's actually present throughout our universe. And what we mean by that is, by this term anthropic principle, is it is the evidence that explains that our universe is intricately designed to support human life on earth. And uh, it's a term that we don't use commonly, but what we're talking about is that there is very much precise environmental conditions and constants that work together so we can live in the midst of Earth's boundaries. Change slightly, slightly one of those life-supporting constants, and it proves to be fatal to us. And the reason why is because planet Earth is really a small oasis in a quite hostile universe. And so last time, and about two months ago, we talked about how the placement of Earth and its moon in our solar system indicates design. We also talked about the idea of the gravitational constant, things like oxygen and carbon dioxide levels, and as as well as the importance of the molecular structure of water. So we touched on all of those different things to simply indicate the idea that our universe and the world we live on, live on and in is one that has been brought into being by one of great intelligence. One who designed it and made it happen. In our world today, there are amazing designs all around us. And they point to the fact there is intelligence involved. And that is... The truth that intelligent cause brings things into being, such as the Jen Olsen's astronomical clock in Denmark. We talked a little bit about that last time. And you look at that you know, clock there with all the different mechanisms that it, you know, that it has and what it reveals to us. And we know that that was built by some very smart people. But then you look at something that is a landmark. And so you consider Mount Rushmore back there in South Dakota. Either one of these designs indicate that this was not made by natural causes that stimulated changes over a very long period of time. So we look at Mount Rushmore, you look at Jensen's clock... And you're like, okay, no, somebody made that. You know, that's no question that somebody made that. That didn't just come into being by natural causes, stimulating change over long periods of time. Well, all around us, there are signs pointing to the fact that life on earth, life on earth was brought into being and is sustained by the ultimate intelligent cause. God, God our creator. 
So this evening I want to look at some of the designs. It somewhat follows up a bit with Micah's sermon last month, and they really are complementary of each other. I'm not going to be discussing the same things necessarily, but you're going to see the two go hand in hand. God created... God created all the different kinds of animals that exist. All the various animals that span our globe, each one is designed uniquely, and they're designed by a divine designer. And so what God has brought into being and what God sustains is beyond man's ability. We cannot do what God has done. And these designs indicate that you're talking about a supreme intelligence, you know, the first cause of all causes that brought things into being. And so in the Genesis account, very briefly, we will note the fact that God commanded, God spoke, God commanded all life forms into being simply by speaking. And so you consider there... When you start talking about the animals that came into being when God said, for example, in verse 20, Genesis 1, verse 20, let the waters teem with with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind. And every winged bird ever its kind, and God saw that it was good. And he blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And then on the next day, verse 24, then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so God commands all life forms into being simply by speaking. But then you consider a few verses found in the book of Job. Where Jehovah challenged Job's comprehension. He challenged Job's understanding of the world in which he lived in and the, and the life forms that surrounded him. And he said, do you understand, do you know these amazing wonders that I have brought into being? These are God's creatures. And so, so in, over in Job chapter 39, we'll just look at a couple of the little stanzas here when he says in verse 13. No, let me start in verse 5. He, who, who sent out the wild donkey free? And who loosed the bonds of the swift donkey? To whom I gave the wilderness for a home and the salt land for his dwelling place. 
He scorns the tumult of the city and the shoutings of the driver he does not hear. He explores the mountains for his pasture and searches after every green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Or will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in a furrow with ropes? Or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you trust him because his strength is great and leave your labor to him? Will you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it from your threshing floor? Drop down to verse 26 at the very end of the chapter. Another example. Is it by your understanding the hawk soars, stretching his wings toward the south? Is it at your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? On the cliff he dwells and lodges, upon the, craggy, on the rocky crag and inaccessible place. From there he spies out food. His eyes see it from afar. His young ones also suck up blood, and where the slain are, there he is. So the scriptures are very clear in pointing to the fact that God is ultimately is the designer. He is the, he is the creator of all that there is. I want to very briefly look at some examples of that. As we look at the world and life around us, let's look at some examples. Consider the, the African gazelle such as the Thompson gazelle. Now, we understand warm-blooded animals have many bodily mechanisms for temperature control. But when the African gazelle sprints at its high speeds, the gazelle's body temper, naturally, we can understand, is going to raise. It's going to rise. And so he has to protect himself. So to survive, the gazelle's brain must be kept cooler than the rest of its body when it's sprinting. And the cooling system for the gazelle is in its head. And what it is, you have hundreds of little arteries who divide and pass through a large pool. Now that's relative, you know, you're talking about the gazelle's head. You know, but anyway, so you're a larger pool of blood, these arteries run through that lies very near the breathing passages of the gazelle. And so when inhaled air cools this nasal pool of blood, so the blood passing through it, through these tiny arteries, are cooled too. So that these arteries now come together into a single blood vessel which carries that blood, cooled blood, to the gazelle's brain. A gazelle can run at the speed of 25 miles per hour for five minutes, and it will raise its body temperature from 86 degrees Fahrenheit to 93 degrees Fahrenheit. But the brain's temperature is maintained and kept safe below its body temperature normal body temperature of 86 degrees Fahrenheit. Without this cooling system, without this way of protecting the brain of the gazelle, it could not survive when it sprints. Let's look at some very likable creatures here. Everyone likes penguins. 
And because of their design, there are actually eight species of penguins that are able to live in the cold climate of Antarctica and sub-Antarctica. As many of you already know, the, the feathers on penguins are long and thin with fluffy tufts uh, at the base of that feather, which form then this mat against wind and water. And I'm sure you also know that they have a protective layer of blubber, that thick fat, you know, under this feather coat of theirs. So the question would be, how could these amazing creatures, how could they have evolved these special bodily features purely by natural means over a long time? How could that happen? You know, these characteristics are not suitable for survival in natural environments with warmer temperature. They can't live in middle Tennessee. It gets too hot here. They couldn't survive. On the other hand, they could not have survived in the extreme cold temperatures where they do live long enough to develop the needed protective layers for survival. There's another example of design. Intelligent design. Supreme intelligent design. Another example, woodpeckers now. You see woodpeckers probably around your place as well. Well, woodpeckers are unique little birds, and they actually have a built-in shock absorber behind their pointed bills, and naturally, yeah, you hope so. And, of course, you know, they go around pounding and drilling into your tree trunks around your yard. The skull and bill, you know, are fused together in all other birds. The skull and the, the bill of other birds are fused together, but not in woodpeckers. You know, their bill is not fused to their skull because there is this pad of spongy tissue or porous bone-like material between the bill and the skull. And so a woodpecker can pound up to five and six hours a day on hardwood. And so what's interesting besides that is this, that you know, when drilling into your trees, the woodpeckers, well, obviously they're looking for food, they're looking for bugs, little insects, and so when they're drilling into your tree, woodpeckers seldom drill right to the prey. So what they're doing, they're trying to reach the tunnels, the little tunnels that insects bore in, in, in the tree, wood-boring insects, and then they use their tongue. They use the tongue that God gave them to probe the tunnel that they reach. Its tongue is usually longer than the bird itself. And the woodpecker's tongue is attached to the top of its head, not at the back of its mouth. So I don't know if you can see, you know, that one picture, upper middle section, we're trying to illustrate the tongue that comes up around the skull out through its beak. And so it is, so the tongue actually circles, the tongue of a woodpecker actually circles around the inside of its skull 
to attach to the top of the head. And this tongue is not just longer than most birds' tongues. It's different. It's designed completely differently. And you can see intelligence played a role, a major role, in making these very specialized functions and unusual features of the woodpecker. And so besides you know, the spongy material you know, between the skull and the beak and the tongue that wraps around its head and comes out its mouth, then you've got its you know, unique little toes that label, enables it to you know, cling to the tree as well as a stiffly stubby tail that helps it to balance itself on that tree. God made the woodpeckers. God made the penguins. God made the gazelles. And God made all of the creatures on land, water, and in air. Animal instincts is a very interesting fact to consider. If you think about it, uh, the instinct of animals also demands the fact there is a creator. If, if animals had to develop their instinct, if they had to develop their instinct over long periods of time, if that was the case, they would have died off long before they were able to carry out the function necessary to live. The instinct of each and every animal is necessary from the, from the moment of its beginning. It can't be something that you just learn over long periods of time. And so let's, let's consider a couple examples of that. For example... You have eels. You know, I don't think they're the most pretty little creature myself. Yeah. But you got eels from uh, uh, the Americas and as well as Europe that migrate. And so you have these European eels and you got these American eels that migrate to the depths in, of the ocean south of Bermuda. And so, you know, that one, you know, Diagram is trying to illustrate that with those arrows coming from North America. And so eels will migrate there where they will breed and they will die. And it is then that the young eels have to go back to Europe or back to America depending on their parentage. Instinct. It's instinct that guides them back to the place where their parent came from. And so American eels don't end up in, in Europe and European eels don't end up in America you know, by natural causes. They all go to the place that their instinct guides them to go. That's by God's design. As we know, there's all kinds of birds that uh, you know, migrate. I couldn't help myself to pick this one because this is an indigo bunting. If you didn't know, there's a number of bunting birds. This is an indigo bunting, if you, and you might see this one occasionally in Middle Tennessee. And so the indigo bunting has internal uh, response uh, uh, mechanisms to the seasonal changes based upon the length of the days. So as the, as the season is changing and days are you know, lengthening or shortening, and so it responds to that. But then the indigo bunting uses the North Star Polaris to guide itself. There are birds that you know, migrate by day, and there are birds that migrate by night. 
And the indigo bunting is one that migrates by night and follows the North Star to guide it to its migratory locations. So these are just two very brief examples that illustrate just the amazing things that surround us all the time. And may perhaps, you know, we go about our routine, our days, work, life, family, and we just don't know how it all just amazingly fits together and works just the way God spoke it into existence. This is intelligence at work. Supreme intelligence, not just human intelligence, but supreme intelligence at work that makes all living things on earth function as God intended for them to live and function from the very beginning of time. But let's talk a little bit about mankind a little bit, some examples of design there. In Psalm 139, in Psalm 139, you have David praising Jehovah. You have David praising Jehovah for his omniscience and for his omnipotence in making and bringing about life, particularly bringing him to life. You know, he, he, in the psalm, it's very personal. So not, not just, okay, he praises God for making man, but he praises God for making him, and how rightfully so. And so in verse 13 through 16, you have some very familiar verses that I will read. And he says, You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. What a beautiful psalm that is, as David praises God and praises God for his character, his nature, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and recognizes that his life as a human being, as a man, is all because of God's doing. He is, David was, because God is. We all know and understand that the complexity of the human body illustrates. It illustrates the necessity of the almighty designer. DNA, DNA is that coding instruction, you know, for building and replicating all living things. And the unique message of DNA determines, it determines the genetic makeup of every living entity. Every living entity is determined by the message of DNA. Clearly that is complex. You know, beyond, beyond my understanding, beyond my knowledge, beyond my comprehension, it is a complex thing. And in this, it contains a specific message for that cell, for that organism, for that living thing. Messages are communication, and communication is a trait of intelligence. You know, you talk about, you know, 
in the space you know, realm, they're always looking for some message coming out from space. Because no, if, if, they can, if they can determine there is a message, that message has come from some kind of intelligence is the theory. Yes, intelligent communicates. And, and our DNA and every a- animal's DNA, every plant form DNA, every living thing's DNA is a message. A message that communicates what needs to be communicated. What's interesting about this is, is this. One microscopic human cell, one cell has more information stored within it than the world's largest library over 10 million volumes. That's enormous. You know, I, I, you know, I can't even really think in that, you know, in that number. But I know that's big. <laughs> that's a lot. One microscopic cell of you has more information in that cell within it than the largest library that has over 10 million volumes. Let's think about some of the things that DNA and cells do. Take, for example, hair. Human hair, human hair, uh, human hair is part of not only to make you look nice, but human hair is part of the body's sentry system. And so your eyelashes, yeah, whether they're long or short, yeah, yeah. Your eyelashes warn the eyes to close when foreign objects strike them. Even a slight little dust that hits that eye, an eyelash, it will make you blink. God, you know, that's by God's design. And then you think about, okay, you know, body hairs on your arms and things. It serve as levers connected to muscles, which what do what? Well, they help squeeze oil glands. And all that's part of protecting you. Hair acts as a filter in you know, the ears and the nose. And we may not like it coming out of our ears and noses, but you know, that hair is there for a reason. You know, it's doing the job that God designed those hairs to do. That's all by design that doesn't happen by natural causes you know stimulating changes over very 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 long time no all of that has to be working from the very beginning perhaps one of the the most amazing things about your body is the eye your eyes are more advanced than any camera that a man could ever make Light images enter the eye at approximately 186,000 miles per second through an adjusting diaphragm, that's your iris, through an adjusting diaphragm, and, and, and that light is inverted upside down by the lens on your retina at the back of your eyeball where the image is picked up by 137 million nerve endings that send the signals to the brain at over 300 miles per hour for processing. Now, how, how man has figured that all out, I don't know. But there, are some, there have been some smart men in technology and study and research you know, constantly 
It gives us more and more evidence of the intricate design that surrounds us and is in us. I find this very interesting in conclusion. And that is, talking about the eyes, Charles Darwin, Charles Darwin admitted this. To suppose the eye, the eye with all its inimitable conferences, uh, advances for adjusting focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of severe chromatic aberration, to suppose the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest sense. Darwin, who is, you know, has played a great, a great role you know, in leading the helm for Darwinism and general evolution and unbelief, admitted that the eye and the design of the eye and the function of the eye is so complex and so intricate and so perfect. It's absurd to say that that could have happened by natural selection. And of course, he was one of the big proponents of natural selection. The more and more we learn about the universe, the more and more we learn about living things, the more and more we learn even about ourselves, the more and more we actually see the amazing designs which God spoke into existence. It could not have happened simply by unintelligent natural causes, stimulating changes over long periods of time. It just could not happen. There's too much complexity and messaging and intricacy for that to happen because all these life forms could not have survived without all the functions necessary for survival. So yes, you and I, are fearfully and wonderfully made. David was right. And rightfully so. We, like David, should praise God for fearfully and wonderfully making each one of us. But every kind of life form, whether it's the gazelle or whether it's the penguin or whether it's the woodpecker or any other animal you want to put on that list, every kind of life form is fearfully and wonderfully made. Even that single-cell amoeba that you studied way back when in biology class, even that tiny little amoeba where you can, you can put thousands and thousands on a pinhead are fearfully and wonderfully made by God our creator. But God not only designed and created us and all life forms and all there is in the universe, God also planned, ordained, and executed the perfect means by which we can be saved. And it's through his son, Jesus Christ. There is salvation no other but the Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. 
And it is by God's design and God's doing that we can be saved. We can be cleansed. We can be forgiven of the things that we have done contrary to our Creator's purpose and will. God has not only created you and made you and sustained you to this very hour, God has sent His Son into the world to save you. Do you believe in Him? Do you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God? If you do, but have not rendered obedience to Him, if you not surrendered your will to His will, we want to encourage you to do that tonight. Don't procrastinate what you know you ought to do. If you believe, why not tonight confess your faith unashamedly with your mouth before others that you believe Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that he died on Calvary for you and for the world. And repent of your sins. Turn from your past. Turn away from those things that you committed in transgression to God and be buried with him in baptism. And he will forgive you. His plan is the perfect plan. And it is the only plan that will save you. Whatever your spiritual need may be tonight, we invite you, encourage you, please come forward, make your wishes known, always stand and sing the song that's been selected.